Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yeah. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to episode 61 of the Brighton Rock Podcast. With me, Russell Guyver, and two guests this week, we have, returning to us for a second time, Mr. Richard Holberton. How are you, sir? I'm very well, Russell. Very well. Thank you for asking me back. Absolutely. Delighted to. After 35 episodes or whatever it was since the first appearance. It It might well be already. The time is flying, isn't it? Something like that. Um, We've also got back after a few weeks away, uh, the gent, Mr. Raymond Wright. Hello, the gent. How are you? I'm fine, actually. Had a nice weekend down near Winchester. Got back a while ago. Uh, the weather was much better than we thought and uh, had a good time. So, uh, Brilliant. Thanks, yeah, well, and uh, enjoyed watching the stream of our, our friendly maturity. Yeah, excellent. Well, we'll get on to that, I'm sure, in due course. Um, I've myself been doing impersonations of Danny Cullip with my new hairstyle um, or hair shearing operation, to put it more more <laughs> accurately. Uh, <laughs> so um, sorry about the gleam. Uh, <laughs> anyway, we move on. So there's been quite a bit going on this week. We're going to get into a few elements of news that uh, is related to either directly or indirectly to the Albion. And then we've got a big debate for this evening related to the start of the new season with the notion of fans getting into grounds, uh, the ballot, and moreover, the possibility of TV rights and whether games could be streamed during the, usually the 3pm blackout time. So we'll get on to that a bit later on. Um, but first of all, chaps, wanted to talk about um, stuff in the news this week. First of all, transfer-wise, Aaron Moy, out the blue, um, has suddenly being transferred to China. Apparently, there's a release clause in his contract that if a Chinese club happened to come in, that he could go for four million. I think we bought him for three million in January. So on the one hand, good business, because um, we've made a lot of money in a short period. Um, but what's your takes on it? Say, first of all, Richard, your take on the actual transfer itself. Were you surprised? And do you think it's a good deal? Um, I was surprised, yeah. I mean, I... I wasn't aware of that clause in the contract. Um, no. <laughs> and I, which probably doesn't put me in a, in a minority. Um, 
and therefore, you know, it came as a bit of a bolt from the blue, to be honest. Um, is it a good deal? I don't know. I mean, it, it you know, sort of vindicates the Lalana signing, I think. Not that it needed me, mm. because I think it's a, that's a good bit of business anyway. Um, but we'll see. You know, I... I I, I think he would, you know, he, he'd been good for us initially. Maybe had gone off the boil slightly. Um, and I think, yeah. you know, generally, generally midfield is, you know, with if, if Alzate and Bissouma develop the way they are, and Alzate gets yeah. played in midfield, I think is an area of strength. So, you know, yeah. if that turns and out to be right, then it looks like a good deal. Certainly, the, there's a big debate about whether we really needed um, to have both Moy and Grosh and the team, both of whom are lacking in pace somewhat, um, yeah. play pretty much the same style. And when we played them together, which included one of the latter-day games of last season, um, once again proved that they're not great as a pair as part of our eleven. Um, so I guess it was su- not surprising that one of them was going. Um, couldn't see it coming specifically now. But um, Raymond, are you relatively OK about the move to let him go? I, I, I think... That... I think the club must have been aware of it. it must have been in the wind. I, I, all I can, I think, because to have a very specific bit, if a Chinese club comes in, and assuming that that mm. was in the, the release clause at that level, means that perhaps he'd been looking to go to a Chinese club earlier, and yeah. therefore during the negotiations in January for him coming permanently, he said, "Well, I'd, I'd like to go to China, but." You know, if nobody comes in, I'd like to stay. And they said, well, fine enough, we'll accommodate that as long as we can make a profit on the deal. You know, whatever we you know, we have to pay Huddersfield, we can make a profit. It will cover some of your wages expense. So, you know, as long as we don't end up out, out of pocket. So I th- think it must have been out of the way. What I didn't think of until you were speaking, Richard, is that perhaps that makes the Lalana uh, purchase making more sense, because if they knew that Moy might be going out, they certainly would want somebody like Alana in. So it hadn't occurred to me as an idea until you were talking. So I, I, I was equally surprised. I, I wasn't shocked because I felt the point that you made, Russell, about the lack of pace in midfield, because there's not only Gross's a bit, being a bit one-paced, but, I mean, Stevens is a bit one-paced. Um, Proper, a bit quicker, but still a bit one pace. So there was a lot of, you know, not a lot of pace in there. And you couldn't play all four of them as we did. And that lack of pace meant that when we got, not so much moving the ball up, but getting the support up for whoever the the main striker, Warpe or or Connolly or whoever, that lack of pace of getting forward, I think, cost us. And we would have had a much easier uh, end of the season. Uh, and we might have been more mid-table and not had quite so many draws. Yeah. And we could have easily picked yeah. up like eight or nine extra points, which we didn't. Ended up with 50 points, say, rather than 41. Yeah. Certainly a good point. And I think um, there certainly does seem to be a sense of a bit of fine-tuning going on here with the, with the midfield, as you said, with Lalana, and then one of those two going out, Gross or um, Moy. Well, the one who do- does stay at least for now anyway, is Pascal Gross, who got on the score sheet uh, on Saturday as Albion uh, made the news yet again, um, being the first club to host a test event for fan-attended football since lockdown um, in the UK. And um, it's a 2,500 limit on the capacity. It, it was a sellout. 
home game with Chelsea, uh, which is good preparation for the home game with Chelsea <laughs> we've got coming up, um, which is good and bad, I suppose. Uh, we get to know each other a bit too well, maybe. But um, Morpé managed to miss his second penalty in a row. Grosh stepped up to take the, um, the other penalty we were awarded to gain us an equaliser in the match after Timo Werner scored with his very first touch in, uh, in a football match for Chelsea. Um, so this, this was all um, rather hurriedly arranged. I think it was only approved by the government on Wednesday um, of last week and then played on Saturday at 3pm, wasn't it, I think? Um, so interesting. I don't think any of, any of the three of us went along to the match, um, but I think we all caught it on TV or some of it, is that correct to say? And what are your views on the game, guys? Um, I, I haven't. I, I wasn't at the match, and I haven't caught it on TV, so I'm pretty poorly qualified to say what I thought of the match. But, um, okay. Um, I, I guess, in some senses, you know, by the sound of it, we played reasonably well and were worth a draw. Is probably my only comment on it. And hmm. I suppose, in some sense, what went on on the pitch was almost, I guess, in a way, almost secondary to the fact that there was an event held with fans in the stadium, um, which yeah. seemed to have gone off without a hitch and yeah. you know it's just it's nice to see I mean it was a very it was a very pre- precise number that seemed to have been agreed for the attendance um, well I, I actually saw a figure published of 2,524 uh, 2, oh controversial by the, over, <laughs> it, well, over the two five hundred. even, even more thought, even more precise I, in that it, case it was something like Sussex Live or one of these um, you know, sort of th- threads, and uh, you know that was the the number. It's a very precise, you know, an unusual yeah. figure. Having been told yeah. two thousand five hundred, having got the extra twenty four in, but anyway, I suppose there's a bit of buffer space, wasn't there, to to fluctuate the numbers slightly depending on which sort of households of groups come I mean, together. Very, maybe, maybe. But it's very much east stand, east lower upper, and the and the. Hmm. The away fans end of the south stand. It wasn't even all of the south stand. So, um, yeah. I mean, Although I this was just home they, fans, wasn't it? Marathon. But yeah. if they could get two and a half thousand into that area, then it looks as if, if you were adding the rest of the south stand, the whole of the west stand, and the north stand, we ought to be able to get another, I guess, five, five, at least five thousand in. I would have thought. So it looks as if we we might be able to go for about seven and a half. That seven and a half, seven eight, somewhere around there, just under the eight thousand. So about twenty five percent capacity, yeah. I guess. Yeah, I mean, positive positive feedback. I've got a few friends who went to the game. Said it was fine as far as it goes. Strange, obviously, the situation, but they said they were having pies and pints and watching the game, and everything was good. A little bit of atmosphere, strange, but nice to be back. And I think their their feedback and ours that saw it on the stream um, echoed what I, I saw from match as well, which is that the likes of Lalana and White impressed, and um, others maybe looked a bit rusty. I think Veltman, um, Robin, friend of the show, said was very rusty, for example. Um, but all in all, a decent performance, and we at least matched them, if not better them, in terms of the uh, the gameplay. Raymond, what, what would you agree with that? And what, what were well, your standouts? I, I thought it was good. I thought, uh, in broad terms, Chelsea were better in the first half. We came into the game and as it progressed, we got better. Um, other than a, a little bit of hesitation and misunderstanding between White and, and Dunk, and it was definitely both of them. It wasn't, it wasn't all down to White as some of the Leeds fans seemed to be uh, uh, implying. Um, 
and I thought there was a hint of offside, but of course we didn't get a re really get a proper replay. And, and where was VAR when we wanted? <laughs> um, so yeah, exactly. you know, I thought Hudson Adoy might have been offside. Not 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 Werner so much as Hudson Adoy so, uh, to, to get into the first thing. But it was a hell of a pass from the Chelsea winger from from mm. Ayer. I mean, you know, that was a world class pass from inside his own half to. Up there, I mean, it's. Uh, yeah, it was, I it mean, it just caught. You know, the understanding wasn't there, and they took it very well. But mm. we put it behind us. We came back, and as I was saying uh, to Richard earlier, actually, uh, we, you know, if Morpé had converted his first penalty, we might have won it. Um, but it was, uh, uh, I guess, he's off penalty duties now. Um, <laughs> two missed in a row, uh, and. Gross took his very well. What what did impress me? There are two things that struck me. A, a I thought we played it quite, uh, not all of the time, but quite a lot of the time. We played it at a good tempo, and got the ball mm -hmm. forward. I thought at quite a good tempo a lot of the time. Quick passing. I thought that yeah. once they settled down, the back three looked quite a promising unit. And I know one mm -hmm. thought it doesn't make a summer, but you know, to have White, Duncan, Webster. And I felt actually Dunk looked the least convincing of the three mm. in, in his role. But I mean, he, he, but Dunk is you know, always, always good, always there, getting in the things. Yeah. But as a unit, I thought they looked good. And both Webster and White coming out with the ball from defence in mm. different ways, I thought added an extra dynamic. And Webster has a lot more pace than Byrne does on that same position. Um, yeah. So I thought that mm. made and yeah, other, we've, we've seen. Sorry, go on. Yeah. But the other remark I'd say is I thought a lot of the youngsters actually showed up very well. I, I thought uh, McAllister was the one I probably most highlight that because he, he had quite an impact with some of the things he did. Webster nearly scored from his free kick, uh, hitting the bar. Um, he got the ball in that we eventually got the second penalty or one of the penalties from. Um, but Malumbi played well, Alzate. Um, Lamperty when he came on, White of course I've already mentioned, but uh, and Connolly, you know, one he goes down a bit easily, but on the other hand, he wins free kicks and he wins penalties. So um, you know, it mm. was seeing the youngsters doing so well was encouraging. Yeah, I mean that's good. And I was just going to say also, with a lot of talk about Dunk, obviously with uh, the New Deal signed and whether he was going to move, and also a bit of fuss about so the England call-ups, which we'll get onto in a minute. Um, White obviously hoping to get a new deal signed. Rumours that it might already be done or it's very much on the brink of being done for uh, possibly four years with maybe a year's option or something like that. Uh, we'll have to wait and see. But certainly Webster, Sean, I thought, amongst most in defence. And of course, he got on the end of an, a pretty good um, Alexis McAllister free kick, which he headed onto the bar. Decent move there from a set piece, I thought. Hopefully we'll see more of both of that, really. Webster getting in attacking positions and McAllister causing more problems with free kicks, which he's already proved he's done, uh, he's capable of doing in the past. So um, I think a lot of positives to take out of it. Um, one negative, of course, is that uh, Christian Walton fell awkwardly on his ankle in the game um, just a couple of hours ago, actually, on the Argus, as we uh, record this on Monday, back holiday Monday evening. Um, the Argus have just issued a report saying that Albion head coach Graham Potter has confirmed Walton's injury is not as bad as first feared. 
It says the 24-year-old was stretched off in the friendly on Saturday after landing awkwardly on his right ankle when coming out to claim a cross and was replaced by Robert Sanchez after only 18 minutes on pitch. Uh, Potter had the following to say, Christian's ankle is still badly swollen, although we are hopeful the prognosis is not as severe as we had initially feared. We still need to let the swelling subside before we can fully assess the extent and put a definitive date on his return. But we are hopeful it will be weeks as opposed to months before he is back, which obviously is, is at least moderately good news following the bad news initially of him getting injured. Um, I feel for the guy. I mean, he's been struggling to, uh, to make his way for quite a while. He's had to go out on a number of loans. I think generally has done pretty well. Most recently, he was on loan for a season at Blackburn. And, um, you know, it was his time to actually try and ingratiate himself in the squad. And now he's got this injury, which uh, certainly will keep him out at the beginning of the season by the sounds of it, and hopefully not too much more. A uh, bit of a shame for him. Um, Can I just make a comment? Uh, I thought yeah. he did. He, he looked quite sad. He did one rather poor thing, almost got caught out by, by Giroud when he was trying to play the ball out. At one mm. But he actually took that cross very well. And he took a ball that Ryan wouldn't have attempted to even get to. Yeah. And, and that's notable. And, I, and I'm just thinking, isn't that good? You know, having somebody coming out mm. and really taking a ball well out of his goal area. Um, yeah, that's definitely one of his fortes, Raymond. Um, and he's got that extra stretch. Obviously, he's a very tall guy. Um, there was, I think, there was some contention about the challenge made on him that he was in midair and put off. You know, not think, in the way that the I Arsenal goalie was injured, but actually he was in midair. Um, you know, he was rendered unable. To was wanted to. I don't think there was anything in it. So it was just he. He had to. If he was going to claim it, he had to be there, and the guy was there. I don't really think there was anything. All right, yeah. Because I actually missed that incident, and uh, they didn't show it again, so I didn't, uh, I didn't see. Actually, played quite well, and Sanchez did a good stop um, uh, from Giroud quite late on before Giroud went yeah. out. Um, Sanchez so himself actually, getting lots of good notices. He looked composed and calm, and you know, one mm. almost wondered whether he was be, be the better option. <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah, maybe. I mean, the one moment he was really called on. You know, he, he produced what, what was needed. Yeah, but, I wonder if this might affect Sanchez's own um, immediate future, because I'd imagine he was set to go out on loan again. Uh, he's been on loan at Rochdale and shone really brightly there. He's done very well. I've seen a couple of his games, and the reports are all very good. The fans love him. Um, so maybe now that changes, but potentially, particularly if Orton's out for a good few weeks, unless they decide to hang on to Button, who we've been negotiating with West Brom to, to well, sell. Um, well, the good thing is that because of the extended window dealing with EFL clubs, not buying, but, but letting players go out down to EFL clubs beyond the 5th of October, I think we got to the 16th, we have the ability to see how Walton comes along. We could keep Sanchez back. And then if Walton, if it is a question of four, three or four weeks, we can make a decision and then let Sanchez go out. So yeah, we don't have to true. make a decision now. And I guess Button, who there you are know, rumours about leaving uh, reports that he might go to West Brom, um, if he go, it, it, there's no need to stop that deal going through. Mm. And of course, we've still yeah. got a deal as well. So Yeah, um, that's right. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, that, I mean, that remains to be seen. We'll just have to wait and find out what happens with Alton's injury first, won't we? Um one of the points from the uh, the weekend's game was the 
well, that's supposed to be the big reveal, although it was spoiled by uh, a leaked uh, tweet somewhere, I think. The Away Kit. Uh, <laughs> we finally got to see it. It's another um, hark back to the 80s, isn't it? As with the first team home kit. Um, yellow with blue trim and blue shorts. Um, what are we thinking? Richard, you're pulling faces. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm kind of a bit ambivalent on both of them, to be honest. <laughs> oh, right, um, right. Yeah, I, you know, nice enough, but I know, I know that the, uh, the, the collar has been much commented on, on, on previous podcasts. And I'm, I'd say yeah. I'm, not, I'm not a huge fan, but, you know. That's the home kit. Yellow it? and blue. Yeah, that's the home kit. Sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, yellow and blue works as a combination for me. Bit Ikea, but yeah. there you go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't mind it too much. I, I think there's, there's been a lot of kickback about the away kit. Nobody seems to like it. I don't mind it, although I can't say particularly endeared to it. I'm, I wouldn't be buying it anyway because I've I've got my one and only kit for this year, which is the home kit, which I do do like apart from the aforementioned collar. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I, I'm not sure. We'll we'll see. Um, other news is. Like the home oh, kit. Hang on. Raymond's got something to say on the kit. <laughs> Go ahead, Raymond. I like the home kit. I quite. I've always liked it where where we've had a narrower white stripe and a you know, more of the blue. Um, mm. you know, throughout you know, the over fifty years, I mean, I've been supporting now for something like uh, fifty-two years now, or six, sixty-two, sixty-two years since I went to my first game. So it's. But I've always preferred it when blue has been the dominant colour, and uh, hmm. like the stripe. And, I, and we had quite a thinner stripe when we got promotion from League One back in uh, was it ten, ten eleven? Yeah, yeah, yeah. the promotion season. Anyway, I like that. I'm not sure if I like like the yellow and blue, um, the away kit so much, but. Uh, hmm. Uh, anyway, perhaps it will grow on me, but it's. Uh, yeah. uh, yeah. But, but I, I have, I have, I have to say, and I don't know why, I have a preference for the the blue and the white stripes being roughly the same width, right? Although, no. although I am, I, um, I recall a comment my my sister, who is not a big football fan, but found herself watching a watching a game, a Boxing Day game, I think it was, when she was over for Christmas, and said that the kit looked like a Tesco's carrier bag. When, when it was sort of broad blue and white stripes, so she will probably be pleased to find that you know yeah. the the white stripe is now a very thin one. But yeah, it's a contentious uh, one, isn't it? Changing okay, tradition. We've got two different types of tradition, haven't we? I mean, there's yeah. the tradition of the stripes, which is the predominant one through the years, but it's also not the original or indeed the exclusively only um, design that we've had in our history. And a predominantly blue strip has featured going right right back. Uh, to the beginning, so um, yeah, I mean we'll we'll, we'll see what happens with uh, I know, the sales have gone well for the home kit. I suspect they won't for the away kit, but we'll we'll see. Raymond, you're going to say something else there, I think, on the kits. Sorry, the were you going to say something just, else about being purist? I would have liked the white stripe to be a bit broader than it. I think I think the thinness yeah. of it is a bit too thin. It probably wouldn't just it would just an extra quarter of an inch or so, so it's that much mm. more obvious. I think it would make a difference. Yeah, you know, about a well, or something. One one thing that's thin is the edge of the wedge in which um, Dunk has been ignored in the call-ups for England again. A lot of fuss about this this week. Um, not so much if there's better quality available, then fair enough. But I think the issue most Albion fans have 
and I do as well, is that um, I don't think that who they've called up, at least not all of them, are of the same quality as Dunk. I don't rate Michael Keane in the same league, and I don't think Tyrone Mings, although he's a decent player, I don't think he's as good as Dunk. And yet both of those have got in ahead of him. Also, subsequently, Connor Cody's been called up for reasons we'll get into in just a moment, um, as there was a space going. But um, Cody, to be honest, I do rate above the other two we just mentioned. Um, but I, I think in the same ilk as Dunk. Um, pretty disappointed, although, of course, from a selfish point of view with the Albion, it is, especially in this forthcoming season of all seasons, going to be a benefit not to have him involved in internationals with such a crammed fixture list. But... Um, yeah. Just from the purest point of view, the pride in the club, him being able to represent the, cl- uh, the club when he's playing for England, and from his own personal point of view, pretty disappointing, isn't it? Well, do you think that, uh, that a Sussex boy with Southgate is from Crawley um, thinks that he's, you know, it, he shouldn't be seen to pick Sussex boys? <laughs> yeah, well, you could say that. Of, I, you know, that. I think he's more, he's more well known as a Palace player than as a Sussex player. I don't know. It's it's almost as if um, Southgate doesn't recognise as Brighton being part of England. But um, yeah, it, uh, <laughs> uh, that's the way I see it. After all, it is south of the South Downs. So, um. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, I mean, his palace connections. I mean, I've, I've always but, thought but, I've got laughed and off, and I'm starting to get suspicious now. Because yeah, but, but he's, he's, all... he's ignoring him at the expense of so many other players. I would even have White and Webster ahead of Michael Keane, personally, at this moment in time. Um, that's how much I don't rate Keane in comparison. Not that yeah. I want to have a go at the man, you know. Fair play to him if he gets called up. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, and I'm inclined to agree. And I, you know, Dunk was given his one cap and did all, did all right and has since sort of been dropped like a stone. Um, and, I, you know, I think... As an Albion player, he's just got, he's just grown in stature for the last few seasons, and yeah. you know, in addition to his technical skills, he's he's got genuine leadership abilities. He's much more disciplined than he used to be. I mean, you know, these are all good arguments for saying we should wrap <laughs> him in cotton wool and not let England get their hands <laughs> on him. Um, but at the same time, I do think that hmm. You know, he's, he's, earned, he's earned another opportunity because I think he's yeah. he's stepped his game Absolutely. up. Absolutely. And certainly compared with some of the people that you mentioned, well, in fact, probably all and of he, the people you mentioned, I would I would put him ahead of them. Yeah, I, mean, want, I think you want footballers at an international level um, at centre-back, but you also know people who have a bit of the, what I call the John Terry spirit. Mm. And Dunk has definitely got that. You know, he's fantastic at doing blocks and that sort of thing and putting his body on the line in the penalty. Even heading the ball away when he's lying on the floor with feet all around as well. Do you remember that? Like mm. Keith and Mings are, are doing that sort of thing. And mm. uh, I mean, Terry wasn't, you know, I don't think, the greatest player, but I did think you know, he, he lifted himself rather like Beckham did into an, another area purely of just sheer willpower. And I think yeah. Dunk has a little bit of that about him. I would agree. He's somebody you'd want, you'd want in the trenches with you, you know, when you're, you know, in a, in a, difficult, a difficult away fixture protecting a 1-0 lead or something because you know that he will give absolutely everything to the cause, whatever yeah. it is. a good way of putting it. And, you know, we don't sing Sussex by the sea for nothing, do we? You know, we stand on all. And, you know, yeah. 
And that, that is, I think, you know, uh, Lewis has taken that yeah. on board. I mean, it's interesting you mentioned um, the John Terry spirit because, I mean, he's not a very likable guy, John Terry, but I do think there's a lot of comparisons with, between him and Dunk. Being a one-club man, it seems that he's going to continue to be now, um, aside from a brief spell on loan at Bristol City quite a few years ago. Um, he had a club captain, local boy, just, as you said, the same style of play, and, and he can get the ball down and play as well. And I think all of those things add up to uh, a great player for us. We're proud of him. He's a Brighton boy, and um, long may it continue. Um, we mentioned Connor Cody getting added to the England squad after the initial call-ups. That is on the account of the fact that, of course, Harry Maguire got into um, rather more trouble than he was expecting in Greece after an incident involving him, his brother, and his sister, and I think another friend as well. Um, something very questionable about what was going on there. I'm, I'm very dubious as to the, uh, the guilty verdict there. I'm not completely sure about it at all from the anecdotes and the, the fast tracking of the court case and the lack of evidence being permitted and all sorts. Um, but obviously, we can't comment any further than, than that. But um, it seems sceptical, should we say, is my view on it. And it seemed a little odd. Um, but Raymond, you had a point to make on this as well. Aside from the, yeah, did he or didn't he do anything wrong elements? Um, he certainly doesn't think he should. He doesn't think anything to apologise for. But you've got a criticism of Southgate um, in regard to the, uh, the whole situation well, thought, as well, haven't you? I mean... I don't know if I posted this on the Argus. When I first heard heard that he was guilty, um, you know, or found guilty, um, I just thought, why did Southgate jump the gun? I mean, he knew the case was being being heard at the time. All he had to do was to hold back. He could do, he had two choices, three choices. He t he chose the wrong one, I think. But the other choices were, don't say anything for a bit, see what happens in the court case, and then make a decision. The other is to announce the squad without Maguire in it. And then if he hadn't been found guilty, then add him. So he, he had the ability, there's nothing to stop him saying when he announced it, there may be one or two additions. So, but actually to put him in and then about three hours, four hours later, pull him out. And now they're saying they won't add him, but he'll be in for the next, uh, for the October uh, international window. Um, it's difficult. I mean, I, I don't think, well, the local um, law um, you know, did that good a job because they, they, they only gave his defence the, um, their evidence quite late the previous, the previous evening. And mm -hmm. then when the yeah. defence asked for more time, they wouldn't give it. So, you know, they were given something like 16 hours to prepare a case, which was ridiculous. I mean, he's, he's won the appeal, so it will start again. So he's now considered not guilty until it's heard. And there are a lot of inconsistencies in stories with um, people saying things. The media's been a little bit unkind because I saw one report saying, uh, oh, well, the taxi cab driver um, you know, doesn't think that, uh, you know, said his, his story doesn't match up with Maguire's. When you actually read what he said is, they were in there. I saw two guys trying to run away from the people who who turned out to be the police. He said, I didn't see them hit, being hit by, by the police. I didn't see them hitting the police. So it's hardly mm -hmm. contradicting what, you know, what Duncan said. Um, quite a lot of um, people making comments that's meant to be subjudicated in this country. 
I mean, lawyers saying, oh, well, this doesn't add up and all sorts of things that Maguire and Co were probably pretty drunk and therefore, you know, part of their memory is probably a bit hazy, you know, at the, bit, the best signs. But the, what has come out it seems to be that the police were in plain clothes. So you suddenly have people yeah. coming in and you're it's in a forest, itself, and you don't, they don't necessarily speak good English, I don't know, have no idea. They say they're police. You don't know that they're police unless they're not in uniform. Mm. Uh, your sister supposedly has fainted or something's happened to her. So you're, yeah. if you're slightly drunk, you're probably going to overreact anyway. Uh, so I think there's a lot of complexities there and it's very difficult. Um, and Maguire, I think, is, you know, I think try saying he, he has faith in Greek law and, and, and what will come out and it might take some months before it happens. So, it's a yeah. difficult one, but I think Southgate, coming back to the point, rather jumped the gun. I, I, I have to, yeah. yeah, I mean, we could spend hours on the, the legal complexities of it, but probably we shouldn't. Um, but I, I, have, I actually have a bit of sympathy with Southgate on that, in that, you know, he, he had, he was, he was between a rock and a hard place, it seems to me. He had a squad to announce at a specific date. He spoke to Maguire before that. Maguire said, I think, you know, I didn't do it. You've got nothing to worry about, which is what he still maintains. Um, Southgate said at the time, I have no reason to doubt what he told me. And had he left him out of the, you know, and he clearly wanted to support his player, unless there was a very good reason at the time not to. And had he left him out of the initial announced squad, that would have been a bit of a low blow towards his player, because that's effectively <laughs> saying, you know, I, I disbelieve what you're telling me, and I think you're going to get the book thrown at you. And he, at the time, he didn't know that. And he did say, he did say, look, you know, this is clearly an issue, and as and when information, or if information changes, I reserve the right to change my decision. Yeah, I think, but I think from a managerial point of view, that's a very, very difficult position to be in. Yeah, true. I think perhaps... Yeah, well... I mean, my own view is, why announce you know, a few hours later announcing the squad wouldn't have made any difference. And I think of the options he had, that may, I think with hindsight, wonderful thing, 2020, that would have been the best option. Because yeah. the one yeah. way he announces the squad without Maguire is, as you say, a bit, you know, look, uh, Harry, let's just see what the result is before I put you in. You know, yeah. it's not really fully supporting Yeah, him. maybe... Well, I think we'll probably won't dwell on it anymore because obviously we don't want to make it about the slabhead show. But uh, <laughs> we'll um, we'll leave it there. But on that subject, but um, yeah, I mean, it, I can see what you mean, Richard. I think um, it may have been difficult. There may have been practical reasons as to why they needed to time it when they did. But um, one person who you might notice absent from this podcast is my usual co-host Peter. Um, Rumours have it that he's gone on a um, a mission to Spain to get Messi over who's available as well Ooh. since we had our last podcast. Uh, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's where he is. He did say he was in Wales, but I don't believe him. Uh, <laughs> um, apparently the release clause may not be activatable um, because of the, the distortion with times and dates of end of season. So we may have to pay the 700 million, but I'm sure Uncle Tony won't mind thought, doing that. I thought Messi was going to pay us 700 million to play for Brighton. <laughs> yes, I think, think we might have got a slightly distorted view of ourselves there. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it would be nice, wouldn't yeah, it? You, you, I think you may have got a decimal point in the wrong place there, right? Somewhere. <laughs> well, one, one well, person I, I, you I mean, is the, good. The, the, the notion of Messi playing in the Premier League somewhere, I think, is really exciting. 
I think it's, yeah. it, well, you know, it would be unfortunate if it happened when nobody could go to the stadium. Very few people could go to the stadium. Yeah. To watch it, but Exactly. But well, then, I think we've had it in May. So hopefully, we're, hopefully we might actually see we, him play. Can we hold coming. that thought? Because is that going to change broadcasters' minds? Is that going to influence what they think? I know I'm jumping the gun a bit, but can I just flag hmm. that up as a thought? Okay. But, but, All right. but one of the things I, I read, I think it was today, that Messi might be going, possibly looking for a four or five year contract with Manchester City, but then yeah. with due to going to the owners of New York Club. Mm -hmm. That sounds quite, quite an interesting scenario, quite a plausible scenario. Yeah. I could see him coming to City. I mean, the money, obviously, if, if they don't win that legal case, might prove prohibitive, but we'll see. But then again, City have got very expensive lawyers. They might uh, put those into play themselves, I think, in this matter to see if they can help things along, the, along its way. We'll wait and see what happens on that. One person we do hope the Albion will realistically, genuinely sign on a new deal is our man Ben White, as we mentioned a little earlier on. Um, we are trying to get him onto a longer deal. He's already on a deal for two years with a year's option. Uh, we're hoping to extend that, I think, to a four- or five-year deal. Um, that seems to be imminent. Um, so good news for us. Bad news for Leeds, who were convinced all the way along that they were going to sign him, even though we kept repeatedly telling him he wasn't for sale. Um, I won't have a good old go at Leeds here, because I don't feel like it's the same without Peter here to moan <laughs> with me. But, uh, <laughs> but Leeds, Leeds fans have been behaving on the whole pretty appallingly on social media. Um, plenty of insults being thrown. Tim Pot, didn't know what we've got, don't know anything about football, various other things like that. They're continuing to, um, to leave themselves open to being, well, basically continuing to, to, to hold the, the insufferable tag, which they um, certainly have had through the years. Um, but it's one in the eye for them if White does sign the new deal anyway. Uh, they've already, of course, moved on to another target and signed him. Um, one player who I think had already signed last time we had a podcast, but I didn't mention is young Cameron Pupian, I think it's pronounced, um, who's an Australian, signed from Sydney FC, um, taking our total for six to the, uh, for, the, for the summer. Um, he's a 20... I don't know, sorry, what am I talking about? He's, 17, a, um, he's 17. 17, 17, yeah, I'm looking at the wrong <laughs> figure here. Yeah, 17-year-old 17, 17 Australian, central midfielder. Uh, he's on a deal for three years. Um, obviously, early days, don't know anything about him, but... Uh, Yes, another acquisition for our academy. So welcome to him. I don't think there's really much more to say on that at the moment. We'll wait and see well, how he gets on. I think it's worth mentioning that the manager of the club he's come from is one Paul mm. Reid, who played for. Oh right, right. Who played for the Seagulls, of course. A midfielder himself. Yeah. So effectively yeah. recommended Brighton to him when he wants, and and vice versa. So. Yeah. Uh, well, so it, well, well welcome to the know. club, anyway, Cameron. Um, well, no, people who've got on loan an extra seagull yeah. element to the story yeah yeah that's it um, well, we've got a few people going out on loan already as we did the last season so far Percy Tau of course has gone um, or switched clubs within Belgium he's now at Anderlecht for the season and already off to a good start I think Raymond you mentioned um, he had a good game the other, the weekend I think well um, this, last weekend yes and he uh, reading a report uh, on one of the, the sort of sites that go through News Now Brighton. And he was playing in one of the midfield three, I guess on the right of a midfield three, not in the front three, which I, I was surprised by. And according to the report, he had a strong game. So, mm, um, yeah. 
interesting, interesting move by company to move him slightly deeper. Yeah, and company, of course, now focusing purely on coaching. He's, he's retired from the footballing side of games in the last week or two. So, you know, he'll be all the more attentive to his team and um, we'll see how he gets on. Um, we still don't know if he'll ever play for the Albion. Um, Matt Clark has gone out for a second season loan to Derby County, player of the season there last year. That's been confirmed. Leo Ostergaard, who was on loan with Gokeres at St Pauli last year, and the, the manager's on record is saying he would have liked to have got both of them back. But he won't be getting uh, Ostergaard back because he's gone on loan to newly promoted championship side Coventry City. I think a good move. Um, long-term management structure there with Robbins doing pretty well, Coventry. I think it's a settled environment and it's probably represents a bit of a step up our second tier from the German second tier from what I can perceive. Um, and I think it'll be interesting to see how he does. The good thing is I'll be able to see more of him um, with championship games on, no doubt, in quite a bit a of good, detail. Apparently he had a good game at the weekend. Yeah, oh, that's good. That's good. But yeah, he, can't they play, with the, he can't play the next game because he's away on international duty. Uh, yes, yeah, of course, yeah. One of our internationals. Um, two other players have gone on loan. Ryan Longman from the um, youth side has gone to AFC Wimbledon. He's a forward, of course. Uh, Raymond, you and I have seen him play a couple of times, I think, haven't we? And Taylor Richards, who we've also seen play, who I think was playing in the game against Villa last season in the League Cup. He's gone on loan to MK Dons. So five out already, as far as I know. There may be more already. There certainly will be more later. Um, but it looks like we're continuing with our policy of getting a lot of valuable game time experience for our young players, which is uh, very positive stuff, isn't it, guys? Um, well, I think we'll um, have the end of part one there, below the halftime whistle. In part two coming up in a minute, we're going to talk about that issue to do with the new season starting and what we're doing with fans getting into grounds and TV uh, viewing opportunities. So that's coming up in part two. Stay tuned, folks. We'll be back in just a few seconds. So welcome back to part two of this latest episode with me, Richard, and Raymond. Welcome back, guys. Thanks, Ross. Ross. Good. Pleased to be back. Uh, Thank, thanks for the break, Ross. <laughs> <laughs> that's all right. Always, always got to have our half-time oranges, haven't we? Um, just quickly on the matter, we were chatting just off air about one matter that we didn't mention in regards to the friendly of the weekend. Uh, the performance of Basuma. You guys were impressed, weren't you? Well, I, I, did, I said I didn't see that particular game, but I'm impressed with him generally um and i think as we were saying earlier on on this this broadcast that uh, you know we're, we haven't been we're not blessed with lightning pace in midfield um hmm. and as raymond said earlier you know part of that is having the pace and the stamina to get up and down and support the attack but part of it i think maybe even a bigger part is having that acceleration and burst of speed over 10 yards or thereabouts just to you know to beat a player to introduce inject some more pace into the attack and that does have the effect of getting defences off balance or forcing them to adjust, and it opens up spaces elsewhere. And he, he's certainly someone who can do that. Um, hmm. you know, and I think you know, he's, 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 a, he's, he's developing very quickly. He's a real asset to, to, to the midfield. And I think um, he's clearly got that. And his, you know, his decision-making is improving pretty rapidly as well. So I think hmm. carry on on that trajectory, and he'll be the complete midfielder before very long. Yeah. And a few and more relation... goals, like the one he scored at Burnley. Would... Yeah, that wouldn't do any harm. Yeah. Yeah. 
but we're not going <laughs> yes please <laughs> i mean he was very much my man of the match uh on saturday against chelsea from a brighton perspective he did one or two good interceptions and and was good and i think he's he's becoming the sort of key the, the key ingredient i think in central midfield and um you know he, he's we were, we were off air we were saying he's got that as you're saying, Richard, the burst of acceleration, which is one of the great attributes that Kante has, who's one of the, the best, if not the best, mm. defensive midfielder uh, in, in the Premier League at the moment. Um, and if we've got somebody with that, those sort of attributes, uh, and his vision is good as well. You know, yeah. he, mm. He's potentially got it all. So, I mean, yeah. I've, I've been looking more and more a really good bargain buy. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I think um, I was impressed with him as well, Basuma at the weekend. And also with Alzate, who I think you, you can see the makings of a really good midfield made up primarily of those two in terms of the central positions. Um, although Alzate obviously is flexible, but I think those two in central works really well. I think they've got all the touches. They've got the the range to their game, which I think could really flourish. And let's, let's hope we see plenty of them together. It's good to see Alzate back after his injury, uh, for sure. Um, yeah, anyway, I completely main... agree with that. I think they could be a really potent axis in in central midfield. You know, and I think yeah, they're yeah. both they're both young. They're both very very talented. They're both developing the game, and I think you know I, I would be very happy to see that that partnership, you know, developing and and getting plenty of game game time going forward. But Malumbia yeah. potential was also also good, and and McAllister. I, I don't know how we could accomplish it, but in some way we could get McAllister and Alana into the same team further forward. Mm. Yeah, that's another that, thing, isn't it? As you said, quite I wonder if... Both, they both pressed quite high. Like, I mean, Lallana was doing it in the first half and McAllister, when he came on later, was doing much the same thing. But they both were not afraid to really get in the faces of the opposition. And if you yeah. pressurise people up, up the pitch, it, it helps. Yeah, and I think they've, they're the sort of players that have got the key to unlock the door as well, haven't they, in terms of defences. And uh, in both cases, I mean, it might be a case of one or the other per game for most of the time next season, but we'll, um, we'll, we might see them both together at some point. And as you mentioned, Balumbi there briefly as well. I mean, I'm wondering, I think he is going to probably feature for us uh, in our squad this coming season. That's my hunch. Um, he went on loan to Millwall and did very well there. Um, but I think he might, he might get some game time as well particularly with the Cups, and um, particularly if we, get, if we go far in the Cups. Um, we'll wait and see what happens on that. Um, the main part of part two, though, guys, uh, was to bring to the attention a debate that's been going on regarding the restart to football, the re-restart <laughs> after a short break. We've got the season um, starting up again, the new season, just in a couple of weeks' time. Um, and, of course, it's going to be very restricted crowds, um, if at all. Um, the question then comes about TV and the opportunity to see matches. Obviously, the, um, there are games on TV already scheduled. They've increased, I think, by about the number of 20 games. Has been added extra, into 20, yeah. extra 20. So obviously that helps a little bit. Um, but Raymond, you've, um, you've been um, having a, a bit of a, a strong opinion on the subject of whether we could wipe out the, the 3pm Saturday blackout rule during these extenuating times. What, what's your take on that? And what, what have you been uh, discovering in your email communications? <laughs> well, I, I, if I can start, obviously, with um, the situation that, that fans um, 
obviously want to see games, ideally live, actually in the stadium. But if they can't see them live, uh, then obviously on TV. Um, and they would prefer to see as full a uh, package as they can. And sort of brief highlights don't really give you the flavour of the game. I'm, I'm, I'm sure, in theory, one could go and watch a game and you could pick out four minutes of highlights and probably give a totally different impression, three totally different impressions of the game by which four minutes you chose. Um, you could make uh, Brighton play brilliantly and were unlucky to lose. Brighton played uh, really badly and were lucky to only lose 3-0 uh, or, or something in the middle uh, just by editing. And, and Russell, you'll know from your, your film uh, background and, and you know, studies and things that editing is all important. So what one wants to do is to get a sufficient idea of the game, sufficient highlights to get a proper flavour of what has happened. And it's difficult to judge player performance if you've only seen, you know, a, a couple of two or three, four, five minutes. You, you know, if you see one moment of brilliance and they've had a rubbish game, you, you can't really, you can say, well, he played brilliantly, but you haven't seen it. So, yeah, yeah. And on highlights, that's the case of match of the day, isn't it? They, you can get a very different impression of a game, even with five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten minutes. You can still get a misleading impression of a match just from that. So, yeah, it's a good, good point to that, Raymond. But carry on, anyway. Yeah, so, sorry. So, I mean, having said that, I think one has to applaud Brighton for um, making the effort, talking to the government, talking to all, all the powers that be, and getting the test case this quickly, this early, to actually have a, a, a test thing on the 29th of August, fantastic. Uh, I think one has to say well done to the fans because they clearly all behave well. Uh, it seems to have been a successful test. They all observed all, all the protocols and everything else. And that obviously they helped create an atmosphere and the, the spacing was done in such a way it didn't look ridiculously empty. And because of where they were filming from, we didn't see all the empty spaces. So that helped, I think, from a watching perspective, watching the stream. Um, so I think well done to the club, well done to the fans. And one certainly noticed that there were very clear notices all up and around the, conc the concourse outside of the actual uh, stadium itself, uh, reminding people what to do. And that was really well done with people encouraging people to do the right thing. And they all responded to it well. So I think, I think that was a success. One would like to think that the next test, wherever it is, that they'll perhaps have 4,000 or 5,000 fans. But I, it's against that background, we are treading back. That's mm. the positive. The negative is possibly the top uh, expert on COVID worldwide is a, is a doctor down in uh, Shanghai who put uh, Shanghai into lockdown very quickly when it came out. And Shanghai, the biggest city in China, really didn't have much of a problem but because of what he did. Hmm. He is now saying that he thinks COVID is going to go on for three or four years. So we are hmm. facing the prospect, this is the bad news, but it may not happen, um, but we may be in a reduced fan scenario for much longer than people are hoping. And hmm. so we, we, it may be that we're, we've got an elongated period of this. 
or it may be that we just have to take the risk. And we can't obviously say to people that you've got to go, take the risk, we're not going to do anything. So uh, there is a, a potential downside that this could go on much longer than we think. So how do you, get, be... how do you get the balance? And I think that yeah. yeah. the, the whole broadcasting thing is highly complex because you've got not only the existing agreements and if matches aren't shown, the rebate situation, the Premier League clubs effectively have no power and they cannot afford financially to go on doing rebates. And if they did have to do any more, then people who work for them would start losing jobs. So there is a huge ramifications. Um, but the actual broadcasts themselves, um, not only the agreements with the Skies and the BTs of this world, but it's the radio stations and it's a hundred other broadcasters internationally who have the right to show games. So it's a hugely complex world and it's not just one media that we're talking about. Whether we can have delayed feeds in some way or a much extended highlights package coming back to that, I don't know. And I know that Paul Barber from the question and answer session that we had um, a, a little while ago that the club ran uh, about three weeks, two or three weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago, um, mm. Yeah. was that it is a very complex situation and that they would like to be able to do more, but there's only so much that they can do. And really, one thing they can't do is afford to upset the, the apple cart financially, taking the one hit of millions, each club taking millions. Mm. I think one ought to then raise the question that the EFL has now come to an agreement with Sky and BT, and Sky in particular, that they will be able to show their games live while there is this situation going ahead. And the EFL is in a totally different situation, uh, partly because there isn't the sort of rate, quite the same number of agreements and everything else, but also the actual quantum in terms of value. The Premier League clubs are making over, you know, something over about £100 million pounds uh, each club, it's that sort of figure that we're talking about that, that they get from the broadcasting. The EFL are getting about a few million, so say, say four million, something like that. So that aren't the same, the same issues. And I think it's you know, a difficult one. And you've got a lot of speculation in the press, both the Times and the Telegraph have actually had articles that they've published talking about supporter groups uh, the Association of Fans, fans, all this sort of thing, wanting to have the matches broadcast. And then, I mean, even those supporter groups don't seem to fully appreciate all the nuances and under, understandings, which Paul Barber alluded to and, and uh, talked about some of them in that question and answer session. I mean, Paul is in a unique position because he sits on the Premier League board, and therefore he probably has a greater grasp than most people about what, what the issues are. Um, but uh, the chair of the Football Fans Committee, or whatever it is, in the House of Commons, he had been quoted in the Times as saying, very disappointed if matches are not broadcast while we're having, either behind closed doors, or yeah. do... Which as, as you said, it's, um, 
it's a difficulty of the balance, isn't it, between you don't want to devalue the product because that's where the multi-million pound bills are with, with people that pay good money to have that exclusivity in their own countries or whatever, whatever the various deals are, um, versus the uniqueness of the situation that fans are actually unable where they normally would have been, particularly season ticket holders, to attend games because we've got a balance system, reduced capacity. Well, that's from one of the point, which obviously isn't the beginning of the season either. We've got to wait before we get even the chance to get into games. Well, I think um, uh, we're, uh, we're left in limbo. But... Russell, well, I think I gonna... a, a two, yes. forgive me for cutting across you a bit. I think there are two real dangers, uh, you know, having said that, that, that these are some of the issues. One is the danger that as time goes on, fans will get more frustrated. And some of them, not all of them, and the Brighton fans behave brilliantly in the test case, uh, that people will start travelling and gathering. And I don't know if they do do it, how do you start policing people travelling down to, to wherever? I mean, how do you stop the you know, Arsenal fans in central London you know, rather more of them going somewhere. You can't stop everybody on the tube to say... Yeah, when well, the stadiums are near the centre of town, it's going to be difficult, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, and, mm. and you know, even going down to Brighton or somewhere, you know, people go down to Brighton for other reasons than watching football, which may surprise us. <laughs> but there are a lot of people who... The other risk that would be of concern to any chief executive is that people just get disconnected from the game. The marginal fans, because, that, because that, they can they can neither go to the stadium nor watch it live on TV. So hmm. option three is I'll watch four minutes of highlights on match of the day. And I think to, to go back to your earlier specific point, Russell, I think I'm right in saying that the specific ruling that prevents broad, live broadcast of of matches that kick off at 3 p.m. Mm. or between, I think it's 2.45 and 5.15 or something like that. Yeah, on Saturday, yeah. Is a, is, a, is a relic from 1960-something or possibly 1970-something when TV was in its infancy and was regarded as not exactly the enemy but a threat to mm. people going to, to, to games. And the reason that the ruling was put in place, I think I'm right in saying, was because of concern that it, if, if it wasn't in place it would damage attendances at lower league, yeah. lower league games because everybody would stay at home and watch Division 1 as it was then on, on the TV. Now... That's, it's Article 48. You know, and, and, well, OK, so it, it's, it's, a, it's a ruling or an agreement rather than a piece of legislation, I think I'm right in saying. Yeah. Mm. It's something called Article 48, but it's actually partly because of local football and lower, the lower leagues. Yeah. What, what, yeah. They, what the worry is, that if it's on TV, A, the, the lower leagues, the Isthmian League and all this sort of thing, will not attract any crowd. And that will impact. And also, will they get the players to go and play in those leagues to, to make it worthwhile? So I think that is one of the issues. But you've actually alluded to something else. The pe people getting disengaged from their clubs, the loss of fans is not something that I think people are thinking about. If this went on for three or four years, and then I think there's a danger that happens. Uh, it's the, I think the danger to Premier League clubs is this rebate. And it's partly what the broadcasters have, but, and it's the complexity and the number of broadcasters that have you, which will make it so penal financially for the Premier League, the clubs. And the Premier League basically finances the whole, most of football. Let's ignore the lower leagues that they have a right and they're important. And the 
people like Ian Wright, uh, who I know, um, it came from a lower league before he joined Crystal Palace. Uh, and th those sort of people won't be picked up and discovered if we don't have them. Uh, so I think, and you will end up with a sort of American football type thing where you only have elite players and, and not a lot besides. Um, yeah. but, but it is this disengagement, I think, of fans and it's the, the cost of the rebate. And I, uh, perhaps the broadcasters, as I'm being unfair, a little bit like playground bullets. I mean, unfair, but they, they have a contractual relationship, and if things don't happen, then the Premier League clubs have to pay a rebate, and it isn't mm -hmm. a million. Uh, and thing, and that would just bankrupt. The and that, and that, that rebate would be payable if matches can't be played in accordance with the existing contracts. Yeah, which and, was and, why so much effort was put into completing last yeah. season in yeah. order to. And of course, I know it, over, I know it overran and, clearly, which necessitated a rebate. But it was a smaller rebate than would have been payable if they hadn't completed it at all. And they still yeah. have to pay a rebate, and it still costs you know, each of the Premier League clubs millions of pounds. So yeah. from that yeah. view, it happened. And, but the Premier League have got to, in some way, or at least the broadcasters, have got to realise that if they actually kill the Premier League, they won't have a product to broadcast, hmm. which I think is a point. But if you lose yeah, the... If you lose the fans, you won't have a product to broadcast anyway. Yeah. So some, yeah. well, the, the, I, whether, the, I mean, I'm being a bit heavy-handed, but, but do the actual, the, the government pass a bill for in Parliament and say, we think it is socially necessary for matches to be broadcast, even if it's on a much delayed basis, say, after eight o'clock at night on a Saturday. So matches at three after eight, something like that, which is less than ideal, but it might be a, a solution. Um, Possibly, question mark. Um, if they say, well, fine, you'll get the rebate and we're going to tax you at 101% on the rebate. Hmm. The, uh, the other alternative uh, is, is to just have all of the games on um, at other times. For them to get the rebate. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, do, do you have them all the games away from the, from the blackout period um, spread out through the rest of the week, um, particularly in the period when nobody can attend matches, so there's not an issue with the public in terms of travelling and everything else. I mean, that's one option, I suppose, in the short term. I also yeah, I guess, guess I guess the that, the, the, the commercial interest of the clubs is mm. to get as many, you know, consistent with safety protocols. The objective would be to get as many fans into the stadium to watch mm. the games as early as possible. And therefore, the timing of the game, you know, that, the timing of the game is subject to all sorts of different influences, clearly. The TV is a big mm. one, but... Fan attendance would then become another one, and clubs well, would be obviously good. reluctant to sacrifice that given the revenue hole that they're already in. Hmm. Um, well, I suppose yeah. if, you, if you held all the matches at two o'clock in the morning, you'd be able to identify who was travelling for the games illegally because nobody else would want to travel anywhere at two o'clock <laughs> in the morning. Um, but you know, being sort of stupid and somewhat facetious. But I mean, the, the commercial viability of different kickoff times is clearly a big determinant of which matches get played when, partly because of uh, overseas audiences. So three o'clock in the afternoon in the UK might not be deemed by Sky or BT to be an attractive time to be broadcasting even Liverpool v Man City because fewer people are going to be getting up in California and Singapore to watch it. Hmm. Yeah, well, three yeah. o'clock in the afternoon, eight hours, yeah, 11 o'clock at night. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> I guess the other, 
The other thing the broadcasters are probably um, are thinking is from their point of view, they're already getting a lesser product, not the football uh, industry's fault, but they're getting a lesser product than they'd originally bought in for because they're not getting the atmosphere, they're not getting the crowds, they're not getting any of that stuff. No one can do anything about that, of course, at this stage, but that is an element of what they paid for, which they're not getting as it currently stands. So I guess for them to to then give up um, or, or to have diluted the product further by having other games broadcast in other formats on other platforms would, of course, be not very palatable to them themselves. But there is a good point, as you said, you don't want to damage the product permanently by being too unflexible, inflexible. But, well, uh, no, but I, I agree with from a, from a, you know, if, if the fans' perspective were the only relevant bit to this argument, and clearly it isn't, and it's not even the most important, but, I, you know, I do think from a fans' perspective, there is a pretty compelling case to say, look, I, I, can't, I can't go to, other than in very limited numbers, I can't, or I maybe, maybe I don't want to, go actually go to the hmm. stadium to watch the match. Um, you know, my club is not flavour of the month with Sky or BT, therefore we don't get very much broadcast time for games at 12.30 or 5.30 or whatever. The only access I have to football, therefore, is, you know, the last set of highlights or the last but one set of highlights on match of the day. That, from a fan's point of view, would prevent present a pretty compelling case for yeah. somehow relaxing the rules. But, you know, the commercial interests around that would be would need to be squared it squared in place to, to do that. Yeah. Well, it, it's I think prohibitively it's, complex. It seems to me. Yeah. I, I mean, the, the the concern I have about people gathering, which I think could happen out of frustration, is that if people start gathering. Then we get more spikes of COVID. And then, hmm. you know, so the more we can do in the short term to try and get on top of COVID, the better. And one of the, hmm. I thought it was the solution they came up, I appreciate they can't do it, the Premier League clubs can't uh, handle the fi financial costs to them again like that. But actually, it was intelligent, it was courageous, it was common sense and imaginative. And it, because it was broadcast, people weren't tempted to go and gather and try and see the games. And I think that was part of the success of it, and, and a very big part. And therefore, anything we can do in the short term to try and get on, to keep on top of COVID better. If if we don't, and we get spikes, and we've seen spikes happening, and, and I mean other countries like France and places where they've relaxed things and it's sort of come come up and. More if every other day there's another country we can't travel to because of it going back. Um, that is going to destroy, help destroy the product. We have to go on back to behind closed doors. And hmm. I think if people are going to say there'd be upteen ballots, and I know, Richard, you want to talk about the balloting thing, which I think is a very key issue, that it's possible because the ballots are the way that we're going to do it. I don't know each club will do the same. It's going to be everybody's in the ballot each time. You could have all 19 matches and never win a ballot. Now, Brighton have quite mm -hmm. a, you know, a credit system and all this sort of thing will come onto it. But some, there are going to be some people who are going to get really frustrated and really angry. And they're going to see people who are going to the games. And I'm not going. And I've paid for my season ticket. And I don't want a credit. I want this. I want to go to the game. And so they'll try and go in some way. I know they're going to have identity and this, that and the other. But it won't stop some hotheads 
wanting to go and protest somewhere. Yeah, Richard, what, what's your take on the ballot system, Richard? Um, well, I think I think I think the objective behind it is is, is twofold. One is, I mean, the obvious one is the club. Any club needs to protect revenue as far as possible in an environment mm. where. Nobody knows exactly when or in what numbers fans will be allowed back into stadiums. So subject to that, the, the you know, number one objective is to make sure that whatever seats are available are filled. Hmm. Right. And the other one is the other yeah. one is fairness. Um, and I think hmm. that, you know, there are various combinations of those two or various ways of solving for those for the combination of those two. Um, the thing that and uh, you know who's to say whether the, the the one the one decided on is is right or not? I mean, I've heard it suggested that, and I think Raymond may have been alluding to this that if you're successful in the ballot for match one, you don't go into the ballot for match two or something like that, rather than everyone going into every ballot. Sorry, that's my dog in the back interrupting. The other thing, the other thing that kind of intrigues me slightly is. You know, if if from a health, if you if you've paid for your season ticket in full before COVID even appeared on the horizon, and you now decide, you know, you've got a health condition and you don't want to go because you don't want to take the risk, <laughs> what what are your rights mm. then as a consumer? And I'm not just talking about yeah, rights. this is an issue. For that's any, very. It's like that's a very good point. Like, yeah, a friend of mine's in that boat actually. It's like cancelling yeah, off the where the flight is still running and the holiday is still being offered. But you, as the consumer, have decided you don't want to do it. What well, I think, I, I, if I can just raise something here, with uh, Paul Barber and his, his team in the question and answer session, did explain the, uh, quite a lot about the balloting system. And one of the things that came across is going to be treated differently depending on how you paid. Now, the people who pay, are paying on direct debit, they, as I understand it, I may have it wrong, that they are going to freeze collecting the payments for the time being and then when things get back to normal they'll start collecting them again so they'll be in the ballot mm. but they won't they won't, collect, they won't collect them some people have less income so they will help them and there are all sorts of issues to do with that so the people who paid up a lump sum up front as i have and i think you have russell as well uh, are in mm. a situation where for each match that they don't attend they will have a credit and it would be done on a sort of uh, match by match. Each three will have a certain set value uh, towards next season season ticket. So um, now, if you're 80 and you've got, a, and I'm 73, so it's different, but I'm getting closer to it, you might not be around to enjoy the credit. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, from that viewpoint, it is an issue. Um, and I think, you know, what you're just saying, Richard, I've certainly put it up, that you could sell, you know, ballot in batches of batches. Now, the, the weakness of that is that you've got to be inflexible for that batch of three or four matches. Let's say it's four matches for the sake of argument. So everybody goes in for the first ballot of the, of the four match thing at 25% get their tickets. So say there are 24,000 season ticket holders, ignore them, the actual numbers, and, and they can do 6,000 people can get it. So 6,000 get it. They, they're excluded from ballot two. Ballot two 
you've then got a one in three chance of getting a ticket for the next 6,000. So another 6,000 get it. They're excluded for the, for the next thing with the, the first batch. So then you come to the third draw and you would have another 6,000. You have a 50-50 chance of getting it. All right, and you don't. But, but then the remaining 25% get into the, the last draw automatically. Now, you, you might draw Burnley for the sake of argument. Oh, I'm not, you know, don't think play the best of football, as opposed to getting Liverpool. Well, well that's the luck of the draw. I well, think. and, and I, sus I suspect that the club has rehearsed but these the kind of options and realised, you know, that, that of, of the two things I said, so you've got revenue and you've got fairness, that would, be, that would be tilting it a long way in the direction of fairness, I would argue, and probably you might, you might rub up the wrong way people who quite legitimately would say, I've paid for my season ticket in full and I'd like to go to as many matches as I possibly can. Uh, absolutely. Thank you very much. And you're yeah. violating the contract by excluding me from three ballots out of four or two ballots out of four. I mean, that look is at, one. Look at, look at, look at what, I know it's an inexact comparison, but if you look at what, but also what, Wim, look at what Wimbledon does. So it's an oversubscribed event every year. If you're successful in the ballot one year, that doesn't exclude you from the ballot in future years. Yeah. I, I think many that... people, me included, <laughs> apply year after year after year and never get a ticket. That's just how it is. <laughs> Uh, but it, it, it's a way of trying to share it out. But, yeah, yeah. But, but the other thing is that, A, the whole system might change. So you, you could have a situation where you have two rounds and then suddenly everybody can go in full attendance. So you have that. It's also possible with COVID situations um, change that, having said we can have 25% capacity, but they don't say, no, you can only have uh, 15%. And, and it, that's, hmm. that's entirely possible. And yeah. the, hope is, yeah. the hope is it will go in the other direction. Yeah. And, you start and, with 25 and, and you end up in a situation where you can have 50. If you fix it at 25% hmm. and suddenly you can have 50%, so, it, so it's the problem with the, with the, the, the you know, package games is the inflexibility. It's a fair one, but it's inflexible. And so it is not an easy issue. And the club, I think, having looked at all the issues, probably on balance rightly, came to the conclusion that they had to have a fresh balance every single time yeah. so yeah. they have the flexibility. And, it, and yeah. if it was going on for, and it looked at it and it became clear it was going to go on for several years, then it, it will, the package situation would be different because then when it comes to next year's season tickets, they can say, because of COVID at the moment, and we could do it, we're going to be selling packages and you'll be able to get seats for six games. <laughs> Bingo. Mm. You know, and, and therefore, mm -hmm. the, the whole cost of the season ticket would be geared to the fact you're going to see six games or whatever it is. So yeah. I think in the future... Yeah, I mean, I certainly think that um, one thing I think we can all agree on is that it's a logistical nightmare. I think the club have done well to come out of this with... A, with any degree of um, keeping their heads on here, because it's absolute nightmare. Having worked in ticketing, albeit many years ago, and things have probably changed technologically a lot, um, generally it can be a, a nightmare logistically organising big events, let alone with them then becoming changeable beasts as well. Um, so, you know, it has a lot of logistics go into this, and it certainly seems to be a bit of a nightmare. I agree. I think the club have probably come up with as good an idea as they possibly could have done, given the 
imperfect scenario and circumstances that they've had to deal with. And the debate could go on forever on this one, and we'll probably have to draw it to a close there. But I think it's been interesting to chat these uh, these matters out. And um, I don't know if there's any closing comments from you guys, but uh, for me, I think... Um, only that, only that, as a non-season ticket holder myself, I'm not expecting to be able to go and watch any games anytime soon. So, <laughs> if, if either if yeah. either of you happen across any tickets that you can't use, well, this is a problem at the moment. You know what I'm saying? No, no. Yes. Although <laughs> Raymond's going to make the point I was as well. Go on. Yeah. With the reduced fan thing, it has got to be the name person. Yeah, on the yeah, ticket. yeah. Okay. With photo and ID. Yeah. Got to have yeah. ID. You've got to have something like your passport or driving license with your thing on you. So it's you can't just say I can't go there for why don't you use it? I mean this right. is, I mean, this in, is that, in that case I shall be lobbying even harder for the three o'clock games to be broadcast <laughs> on television. <laughs> no, yeah. well, well exactly that that makes the argument stronger, doesn't it? I think yeah. that this is the problem, isn't it? I think season ticket holders, as you said, they they they're people that were intending to go to most, if not all, of the home games. And they were definitely not going to, barring a miracle of the ballot, so not going to be able to go to as many games as they wanted. Um, so the, the alternative is to be able to see games on TV, and they're not, not going to be able to see that in its entirety either. So it is a tricky one. It's an emotive issue. And I think, yeah, as you said, you, you can't even sort of ticket exchange it, except through the actual uh, ticket mm -hmm. exchange system itself, which is, of course, the alternative for those that, that win in the ballot and then find they can't go. I mean, yeah. I don't Raymond? I mean, the point that Richard made about the contractual thing, will people, uh, or will the government, you know, perhaps lean on, on clubs to say, if people are not going to be able to see all, all the games, and if, uh, and, and if they're not happy with the balancing system, they have the right of, of, of a refund. And therefore, will the yeah. club want to start refunding? I and mean, that was one of the other things, is that the club offered one a refund for the last few games if you couldn't go, I guess for contractual reasons. But yeah. a lot of Brighton fans either waive their, um, their, their refund, the club benefit, or the club offered the, them the ability to donate the value of the tickets um, to um, mm. a, a charitable initiative which the players, the, the Brighton uh, squad members, had actually started, the uh, All as One. And mm. uh, I think they raised over three thousand, three hundred and seventy thousand pounds with that. I yeah. think that. Uh, so I think that uh, that is an uh, is an issue, and I think it's doing it. So the club don't necessarily want to have to repay pay everything. And uh, uh, the other question that came up was um, the question of programmes. And mm. the, uh, the other thing I wanted to mention is that they are going to allow some away fans to go to the reduced fans, which I was slightly surprised at, that some away fans will be allowed to attend. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm surprised reduced, given the terms. That reduces the capacity as far as the home fans are concerned. So that I was oh. surprised at. I, would have, I could understand them you know, fully wanting to say no away fans any ground. I was surprised yeah. to hear that away fans, I'm not sure what numbers and things, will be allowed. Um, so with, with the programmes, Raymond, you're saying that they're, they're, at the moment as it stands, they may not be doing a printed programme, but they're going to do a digital one. Is that right? I, I don't think there's a decision made. I was talking to somebody at the club. I, I was just checking on the detail of, of my membership, my, my loyalty points, actually, just to see if I could get to the game uh, <laughs> weekend. I, I probably could have done. Um, but it was um, 
she was saying, and I asked about programs, and she said, well, we don't know if we'll be doing paper programs anymore. The decision mm -hmm. hasn't been made. She suspected that the club wouldn't, but, you know, it's not definite, but there would mm -hmm. be an electronic program available. I see. Okay. And, and, All like right. and, and the final thing I would say is on, which I didn't mention, on the... Uh, uh, the EFL, when people are paying, they have to pay a fee to watch their games live. It's not a big fee, it's a, it's a £10 fee, or you can get pay a subscription monthly and you then get to see your game after one o'clock the following day. But yeah. there would be a £10, if there was something broadcasting, you'd have to pay some form of fee for it. Gotcha. Okay. Well, chaps, on that note, I think we'll round it off there. It's been a really interesting debate. Um, lots of stuff really to talk about there. And we're going to have to see how things develop and as, as the season starts, when crowds are eventually allowed in, which is in October. Um, we'll see what happens there as well. And um, I imagine there's going to be lots of debating points as things unfold as well uh, at the various points. So thank you very much for joining us, guys. Um, the gent, Raymond Wright, thank you, sir. Well, thank you very much, Russell. And, and that's, that's the, the, the tests uh, that we've that Brighton did uh, encourages more tests to be, be allowed, and uh, we can all get back to the stadium. Absolutely, and um, Richard, a pleasure to have you back on for your second appearance. Um, I hope you've enjoyed it. I have thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, very interesting discussion, and uh, thanks for asking me back. Excellent, and um, yes, we'll see you again, no doubt. In the meantime, up the Albion, stand all for. Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.